Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome to the 360 Recruiting Podcast, a podcast for OU recruiting fans by Sooners360.com. Each week, we will catch you up on the latest in OU recruiting news and provide opinions and evaluations on all things OU football recruiting. This is episode 44, titled Like a Rolling Stone. My name is Chris Mason. I'm the lead recruiting analyst over at Sooners360.com. I'm joined by my usual partner in crime, Caleb Cummings, who's going to provide some deeper opinions and evaluations on everything involved with OU recruiting in terms of the high school guys that we're looking at. And, and, and of course, this pod does portal stuff once that season kicks in again. As always, we will begin with the latest Sooner recruiting news. And I personally guarantee that this episode will be 100% williams Winery free. He will not be mentioned at all moving forward. So fortunately, once again, we've been treated again with commits this week. So we've got some good commit news to talk about. And since we're recording on Thursday, late Thursday night, we managed to get a, another another commit to talk about. So we've got some some double good news for Suna fans. So uh, two commits today, Caleb. Uh, the first commit, obviously, we were kind of expecting it. It was Heritage Hall running back, athlete, high school quarterback, Andy Bass. He's about 5 feet 11, I think, 200 pounds, I think is probably about right on target for him. He is a very good-looking 200 pounds based upon all of the footage from the OU summer camp uh, that we just recently, that was recently occurred in June where he got his offer. He chose OU over a full-time scholarship offer to Syracuse. Uh, he's a preferred walk-on for now, and we'll talk a little bit about what that kind of means in this day and age, because it's a little bit different. And he was also uh, considering K-State, and I think that was a scholarship offer, but I, I wouldn't swear to it, because things have gotten a little muddy there. But uh, those are the three. He had a bunch of other offers, a lot of good good G5 offers, uh, places that have raided Oklahoma before and gotten good high school players. Uh, but his final three was OU, Kansas State, and Syracuse. And he chose the Sooners at a very nice ceremony at Heritage Hall today. Their their production values were very high. Uh, they didn't lose their data stream or their video stream at all. It was a nice, tight uh, presentation. He thanks them. He thanked he thanked the usual group of people. Then he had a video to play, and is a really cool graphic, which I'll go back and try and find and post on our board where he did that they created. Uh, I believe they created for him. So it was cool. It was, it was a nice little, nice, tight little ceremony done in about 20 minutes. No tractor manufacturer uh, commercials like the, the, the Longview presentation where they had, <laughs> they had the, the local, they had, I mean, they had like ads and they were, they were, that thing was like an hour long. Um, so it was a nice, tight, a, a nice, tight uh 
presentation. So, Caleb, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna change things up, guys. When we talk about commits, I'm gonna give you kind of the intro of what when I'm recruiting, and then we're just gonna lead into Caleb's evaluation because I think it's a slightly tighter experience for you guys as listeners. So, Caleb, uh, we've talked about Andy uh, quite a bit on the podcast already, but uh, just just kind of give us a repeat, kind of just give you your give us your general opinions on him uh, and what you think he could provide OU as a as either an athlete, running back, slot receiver, uh, kind of type player. I mean, he's almost like a classic. He almost could be like a classic wing back for OU, but I'll let you talk. You know, so honestly, Bass, it's it's a it's an interesting thing. Uh, he's probably one of my more favorite recruits in the class thus far, which is odd to say because he is a bit of in that range, you know, maybe technically right now a preferred walk-on with, the, you know, he may have a scholarship by the time the class is done in February, or it could be similar to Gavin Freeman where it is, hey, you've got the preferred walk-on spot. And moving forward, you've got the potential within one semester to go out and earn it. And the reason I like him so much is honestly, it's really a combination of two things. It is the tape, how good uh, he is a dominant high school football player, right? It, whatever it is, they put him and he mostly plays quarterback, but they will put him out in the slot and, and, and they'll give him some jet sweep action. They'll put him uh, running back and he'll take it. And a lot of the time as a quarterback, he is, it's almost like an old single wing, right? And he's just running the ball. He's, you know, outrunning everybody running through arm tackles. He runs through trash and through arm tackles extremely well. He keeps a really good lower, uh, you know, center, you know, balance to himself when he does that. The thing that, again, like in the other part, so I think there's particularly when you look at high school football players that maybe come from programs like a Heritage Hall, that's not, hey, it's not, the, you know, he's not playing against the same high school competition that a kid at Duncanville is going to play against, right? He, he's not. But is he dominant? He absolutely he is dominant. Okay. Is he dominant to the level I would expect? Absolutely. He's dominant to the level that you'd expect. Right. And then the next thing is what are like the physical measurables? How are those going to scale versus better competition? What does that look like? Okay. Well, that's probably why I like Bass so much is, you know, if you're looking at it from a scouting perspective, you'd say, okay, I'm a little bit concerned about the level of competition, but he's got great size. He is, like you said, 5'11", 5'11 and a half, 200 pounds. I mean, he, he's absolutely rocked up, right? There's, uh, he is very physically developed. He spends a lot of time in the weight room, you can tell, right? So very strong. Fantastic change of direction, really good acceleration. He runs 10.5 in the 100 meter. So he has what was burgeoning, you know, you know, borderline elite speed. Really, it, it is elite speed. It's just we do have some guys out there like the kid from Duncanville that runs 10.2 or 10.3. Or Ray and Reagan's and just, Ray, just yeah. Brennan Thompson and Petaway, just, just guys who, who, yeah, I mean, it's to call a guy who's running a 10.5 to, to be questioning his speed is just like, just just slap yourself. That's a silly question. Ten Absolutely. five is ten five is to, to be to be quaint is hauling ass. To be old and quaint, <laughs> I mean it's hauling ass. It's that's you are not uh it's, it, there's there's slow there's a concept of slow and it's nowhere near what, what this kid is. No, it's it's four four flat. You know, it's 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 flying. And to you 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 really touched on something good there, right? When you mentioned whether it's Caden Durham or it is Reagan's 
uh, or some of these other guys that are 10-2, 10-3, maybe they're like 10-3 guys. They're also 10-3 at 160, 170, 180 pounds in Caden's case, right? You look at uh, you know Bass, it's he's every bit of 200. And so oh, yeah, there's, yeah, you know, yeah. there's additional there. And so I look at that, I'm like, okay, well, I, I actually, I'm to the point where like, I don't understand the lack of offers. I kind of pull back and like, I think I put this on the board and I remember going through this previously, whenever it was February of, I suppose it would have been what last year, right? Uh, 2022 when Oklahoma was getting Gavin Freeman as a preferred walk on and everybody was like, oh, don't use a scholarship on Gavin Freeman. You're right. It's like, okay, he's going to be a preferred walk on. I know you fans are like, oh, thank God, because we don't want to use a scholarship on him for some reason. But at the same time, the same Oklahoma fans were talking out of the other side of their mouth, just irate that Oklahoma wasn't going, hadn't offered Cole Adams yet. And he was taking these visits to uh, Alabama. And I was like, help me understand what the difference is. I understand Cole Adams plays against better competition, but when I watch the film, I see Gavin Freeman's a better playmaker. So let's, let's call that even because of the level of competition difference. But then when I look at them in the tra- on, on track, Gavin Freeman's 10, eight Cole Adams is 11, two. I mean, there's this big gap between like their acceleration, the power, the force they can generate. And so I was like, okay, you know, I think Oklahoma got us. I said it then. I was like, I think Oklahoma's got a complete steal and Gavin Freeman, because I watched the film, I see a guy making plays everywhere. I can turn his, I can see his measurables and they stack up with anybody's. And I feel that way about Bass. You know, if you, honestly, I'll, I'll say this, like, I don't know how much of a limb this is going out on. If Bass plays running back and in three or four years, you look at it and he has more carries, more yards rushing, more catches and more yards receiving than uh, Xavier Robinson. I expect him to. I just think he's that, you know, he's that level of an athlete. And to your point, part of that is, if Oklahoma is, you know, it's Taylor Tatum, number one back in the country, you can kick Bass out to a slot. You play him with a slot gadget player. You get him the ball, you know, uh, and a lot of the short, quick passing game now really is just an extension of the run game. So you're getting him on perimeter runs uh, or, you know, at 5'11", 5'11 and a half, 200 pounds, you can, you can slide him in at safety. You know, high football IQ is played quarterback, so he understands, you know, defenses and defensive structure and what you've got to do. So I, I just think it's a, I think it's a really good example of the level of chess Brent Venables is playing to get a preferred walk on. That's that caliber is pretty shocking. The thing that really shocks me, and it, maybe it's, maybe Brent is really kind of imposing his will over OK Preps recruiting to such a degree is, I mean, I look at OSU's class, it's not loaded with playmakers. How in the world is OSU not all over this kid to to be to be in Stillwater? I mean, Tulsa's doing a nice job picking up some of the in-state prep kids that OU hasn't is hasn't offered and probably isn't making a hasn't hasn't been able to make a case as a preferred walk-on. But I mean the 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 Kaiser kid and now and now this kid. I mean, really? I mean, they they these are the guys that OSU used to. You know, make you know, other than picking up good, other than making good evaluations in the Dallas and Houston area, which is a lot of what a lot of what Kale has hung his hat on. But these are those are two kids who should be at OSU. If I'm an OSU grad, I got to be wondering what what is what is Gundy doing? What is Mike doing? I mean, or has or 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 Caleb? Is this just a sign that Brent has basically with with the NIL weaponry he has? That he's now able to say, I'm, I'm going to get the best of the best Oklahoma kids 
And then, I, and then I'm not going to let the next rung of kids who in the past, the Wes Welkers, to just use the classic name of someone who. Former you know, Heritage Hall Charger. Uh, exactly. I mean, you know, so, you know, I think Brent, maybe, maybe Wes Welker is in the back of Brent's mind because Wes terrorized, you know, OU defenses, a good OU defenses under Brent when he was at Texas Tech. I mean, uh, maybe Brent's just like, I'm not letting the, the next Wes Welker go to, go to Texas Tech. I'm just not going to let it happen. I'm not going to watch this guy, but it's just, you know, it, and you can tell Bass is very comfortable with this, this preferred walk-on process because he knows that the OU has a good, for all those who say OU's not playing the NIL game, OU is using NIL to pad their roster with high-level walk-ons. OU's probably going to have a roster of 100 kids who have Power five or good group of five offers. Guys that were going to, you know, I remember Ohio for a stretch was just, was coming down and getting really good Oklahoma kids and coaching them up and developing at a high level for a while. Yeah. I mean, you nailed it. I mean, you nailed it, right? You look at, you know, uh, and I'll kind of two things here. Like, so we just spoke to in this class, Oklahoma's got both Bergen Kaiser you know, out of Edmund Santa Fe, and they've got Bass from Heritage Hall. Bass had an ACC offer, you know, Syracuse, uh, hard and heavy after him, right? Uh, and then you look at Kaiser, Oklahoma State offer, and he chose, and he had, you know, others, but you know, Oklahoma State being one of the bigger power five, and he chooses Oklahoma as a walk-on, as a preferred walk-on with potential to earn a scholarship. So, I mean... I don't know what's I, – I, you know, I'm one of the very few guys, and I think you know this. We talked about it, right, that yeah. I actually like Mike Gundy. Uh, right, right, right. I, I'm, I have, I'm, I'm, I'm one of the very few Oklahoma fans that likes Mike Gundy, I should say. Yeah, yeah. I, I, can't, I can't go there. It's like, you know, it's – I, you know, I, I, was, I was probably – any analogy I make would probably be somewhat offensive to some, some group <laughs> whatsoever. So I'll just, I'll just say I'm not a Gundy – I'm not a Mike Gundy fan, and I'll leave it at that. Yeah, I, I like Mike. But, but, I think, but he was cobbling together rosters with good evaluations, strong evaluations in Dallas and Houston, and he was making some good. They were making some good evaluations in state, and were taking advantage of some players that Lincoln Riley was, you know, probably just skipping over because he didn't. You know, it was a little, a little star focus. Lincoln was a little star focus. We know that. So, but it's just. If you're if you're if you're Mike, if you're a, an OSU fan and you're watching OU pick up, you know kids like this that were usually the kids OSU built their class out of, and yeah. did a good and did a good job developing. I mean, Trace Ford is a classic example, right? I mean, well, I mean, I look at Bergen Kaiser and I immediately think of Brock Martin, the the kid that's yes, the other defensive yes. end, the opposite of Trace that just left. That was. You know, uh, I think a three-star kid, but it ended up being a three- or four-year starter for Oklahoma State. It was a part of some really good teams. I don't know. Like, I really don't know. I think part of me, like, to your – you nailed it, right? I've always thought Mike did a really good job of evaluating. And I also think from a recruiting star perspective, and we've talked about this, right? I think once you get into, like, the three-star kids, the difference between the kid that's three-star and he's a 5.7 three-star and the kid that's a 5.5 three-star – 
it's probably who does his high school coach know at that recruiting service that kind of pushed the one up because they nobody at the recruiting services were breaking it down. And when the recruiting services looked at it, they they don't value a Kansas State offer over an Oklahoma State offer. As where if you if a kid has Alabama, Oklahoma, LSU, they look at that and they go, okay, he's we need to look at him as probably a top, you know, one of the top players. So I think Oklahoma State's always done a great job of evaluating, but I, I'm with you in that some of the like these what what's going on Oklahoma taking kids that normally would have gone to Oklahoma State had great careers I mean somehow they're convincing them to be walk-ons I actually like I think I've, I don't know if I've said this like to anyone but I wonder Brent is a college football guru loves it well like, he absolutely loves ball he grew up in Kansas during the late 80s early 90s and the most dominant football program in America, well, it was either Florida State or Nebraska, right? And Nebraska was right up the road. And anyway, it was around, I mean, I was young, but I'll say this. I had an uncle that owned a lumber martin in Nebraska, so I can tell you some of the funny stuff they used to do. And it was stuff like this where there was a high school, be a high school offensive tackle that threw 45 feet in the shot put. And somehow he would get a track scholarship to Nebraska, and but he's playing offensive tackle. You're like, well, I threw farther than that as a freshman, but he's he's got a scholarship to a big eight school as a shot putter. And, you know, I, I do I do wonder if Brent is just really trying to recreate a lot of the stuff that he's seen work. He's taken pieces from, right? It's like, hey, I understand this cultural piece from Clemson works and how we're going to structure this and work from Kansas State and what we did under Bob here. But I also saw what Nebraska did during the 90s with that walk-on program. And that's what we want where you nailed it. Where we don't play with eighty-five scholarship kids like everybody else does, we play with one hundred and five scholarship kids. And if just if just four or five of those guys become are in your two deep, it's it's a win. I mean, it's it's a huge win. I mean, and if and if another four or five of them are are good enough to be you know stalwarts of special teams, that's 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 another that's those are that's the, those are wins again for you. So it's. I don't know. It's going to be interesting to track. Last year, I mean, I think you and I were both shocked at some of the O line that they got to prefer as preferred walk-ons. And, I, and we knew the the is it Brand? I think it's Brandon Harper was the wide receiver they got right, yeah. for walk-in who put up like stupid stats in Oklahoma preps. And we were like, wow, how did they get that guy to walk on? It's just crazy. So it's I think it's it's going to be inter- something interesting to track. But it could serious if I again. If I'm an OSU fan, I, I think I got to be a little bit stabbing myself with like a pencil over watching Andy Bass go to OU as a preferred walk-on and wondering why why the hell OSU? Where's the OSU offer? Where well we can't we can't out recruit an OU preferred walk-on offer. And if that's true, uh, OSU has some problems moving forward. So moving from Andy Bass, which we expected, he told us it was going to happen. We had a pretty good idea. We kind of got. I was at. I was out grabbing some food for uh, for for uh, for the missus. The missus that allows the podcast to occur. And somebody texted me and said, "Had Eli Bowen committed?" I was like, "Well, no, he hasn't. He's he's gonna commit." And then I looked to my. Then I checked my phone. X on my phone. I'm like, "Oh, no, no, no. You're right. Uh, Eli Bowen has just committed." And this was like around I don't know six forty five, seven o'clock uh, Eastern time. So. We kind of knew this was going to happen, Caleb, but the timing is certainly a bit of a shock. And for all those that don't know, Eli Bowen is Peyton Bowen's younger brother. 
180 180-pound cornerback, playmaking, playmaking, uh, defensive back for them, kind of the glue of the of Denton Geyer's defense last year when he got hurt. Apparently, their defense kind of fell apart a little bit. That's why they got kind of their defense kind of got exposed a little bit in the playoffs because because apparently Eli was one of the pieces that kind of kept it all together. So, Caleb, I know we've we've mentioned Eli a bunch. We've talked about him. We kind of wondered why it was taking so long for him to commit. And it just sounds like he was just working through his process. And maybe he's always had the date of right before his senior year started and and just pulled the trigger, uh, pulled the trigger. So it was down to OU in Texas. Even Texas websites were saying he was Eli Bone was going to pick OU, which is like a hunt. Anytime Texas. Except insiders- for Texas on three. I think Texas on three, yeah. Yeah. which okay. is interesting with like McKin. They're the ones with the McKinley crystal ball to Texas. E- the Texas on three all the way back to. I think yeah, soon posted a thing on on, yeah, on Twitter off. where it was like, oh, Oklahoma's not even involved. It's Texas and Texas A&M. And they were saying in the summer, and I've talked about this, right? One of those asshats over there was saying, Peyton Bowen hates hates Norman. He's going to transfer. He's not going to stick around. I'm telling you right now, he's, you know, in his East Texas draw. And he's, you know, he was saying that little Bowen going to go to Texas, going to be a Longhorn, going to end up in Austin. And so, uh, yeah. Peyton Bowen is is probably, if he's not going to start in a week from Saturday, he's going to play a lot of reps at safety. So, yeah, not not sure. But anyway, so, uh, Caleb, what do you, I, I'm of the opinion, look, now, I have made a lot of noise about, I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm a little, a little wary about the size and this, the length and size of this DB class that OU's pulling in. Now, I'll give you my opinion, and then you, you can give us the your, your pro evaluation as per usual. In my opinion, I'm not worried about Peyton, well, Eli Bowen's size, because I know that he, as a fifth DB out there, he's going to be surrounded by his bigger brother, Peyton, who's 6'1", you know, 200 pounds, going to be 200 pounds. I don't know what he is right now, 195. You know, Makari Vickers, Jacoby Johnson, Dave McCullough, yeah. um, uh, Robert Spears Jennings. So I know as the fifth DB, DB out there, he's going to be surrounded by guys with bigger, with more size and length. That Eli Bowen is not going to be um, a, a Lincoln Riley DB at 5'9", 180, guarding tight ends. He's not going to be guarding tight ends. He's not going to be guarding the six foot six, 220-pound wide receiver. The team rolls out there. They're going to put Eli uh, and use him effectively uh, in the slot against slot receivers, he's going to be a corner matchup cornerback and used effectively. He won't be in the box trying to be, um, trying to be you know like the like some nickel linebacker. Oh, he's going to use him effectively, and I think Eli's just going to be surrounded by bigger bodies, longer bodies. Whether it's Jacoby Johnson, uh, if I missed his name, so I'm not. He's a playmaker. You. The, as everyone points out, the Thorpe Award winner was five nine, you know, hundred ninety pounds last year. Um, I, I got no issues about his size, just because I know the previous DB class is going to be all around him when he hits the field. Yeah, no, I mean, I I, I agree. Lots of lots of reasons on on, on why. I, when I look at him, I see really the same thing probably you do. I see a guy that's got the ability to be an elite slot corner. 
don't know that he's a guy because of the size at five nine. Uh, 180 pounds that you're going to say, hey, you know, <laughs> you don't want to let guys like Quentin Johnston, who used to be in the Big 12, right? Uh, you don't want to let six, three and a half, uh, 205 pound receivers get on an island on him. But that's the other part of this is, you know, and I don't want to like take a shot at Alex Grinch, but, you know, his coverages from a, the back end perspective were it was very, very basic vanilla. It was, you know, a lot of man, you know, cover three, which receiver goes vertical, turns into man. And so teams were able to really pick on those defensive smaller, you know, smaller DBs, get them one on one and isolate them and, you know, play find the fish. And uh, that's not how how Brent does it. You see him talk about that all the time when he talks about his scheme and how you want to do things right. We want to put players in a position where they can be successful and, and really try to mask and guard against any of the deficiencies they have. And he runs so much zone, matchup zone and things. I just, you know, he's got some of the better ball skills that you'll see uh, out of, out of a corner. I don't know what his 40 is. He seems very, he seems really explosive though, right? Like you see that first 10, uh, he's able to put his foot in the ground, plant, go burst on the ball and go get it. Don't know what, you know, once he gets top end, what he's going to be, but you know, that's again, when you look at a lot of like the top nickel corners, top slot corners in the NFL, they're all five eight, five nine, five ten, you know, maybe five eleven at the biggest. Most of them, you won't see any of these guys running four two or four three. They're four four, four five, but every one of them's probably got a vertical, you know, of thirty seven, thirty eight, up to forty. Uh, 41 inches and, they, and, and they find the ball and they find, they the, find ball. the ball they under you know they're these guys that are you know very quick you know it's one of the, the, the thing everybody uh, mike mayock made famous on the nfl draft right he's quicker than fast well that's you know what you want from that your slot uh corner obviously you want fast as well but you know those the slot position from a receiver's perspective you know they're going to create separation off the break so you've got those corners that you know yeah you they were able to put their foot in the ground and make that cut and accelerate with that receiver. And I, I agree with you. I think when you put him in that spot with guys around him, that are going to be a little bit bigger. And you're also going to put him in a, in a bit more of a, a scheme that plays so well to his instincts because Brent's scheme does like guys that are really instinctive at, particularly at linebacker and safety, which are more of a thinking position. You know, it's about processing information, those two spots. And same thing for that that nickel, that Roy back, the nickel, the whatever it is. You get guys there that are just football players, and, and they're just going to be dudes out there making plays all over the field. Doesn't matter, you know. Uh, you may light them up; they don't run that fast, or, or whatever it might be. But because they can process, and uh, you know, there's bullets flying around them in that scheme, they're really successful. And, and yeah, that's a it's the other part of why that's a big win. It's another Denton area guy for Oklahoma and for you and I have talked about it. I mean, it seemed like forever. It did not make sense that Oklahoma would lose guys out of Denton. You know, it was uh, the Moss kid that was a five-star defensive end that went to Florida. Uh, Edwards. Jarvis. Jarvis, Jarvis Moss. Moss. Yeah. yeah. The Edwards, you know, that was a five-star defensive end that went to Florida State. You know, and, and these kids would just come out of Denton and they, they wouldn't look at Oklahoma. So for them to be pulling – Five-star quarterback, five-star safety, you know, stud running back in Caleb Hicks, another, uh, you know, corner in Bowen. It's uh, it's fantastic because North Texas area is growing like crazy. Yeah, I think it's a it's a good pickup. It's a great pickup for OU when you combine him 
if you combine the, the DB class they're looking at with the DB class they just signed, and and I think the 2022 class has a good DB group in it as well. It's having some injuries and fits and starts, but I think uh, hopefully they'll find their legs this fall. But just talent-wise, just athletic talent-wise, it was, a, you know, that of the linebacker group in 22, I always felt like was the, was the best sort of, you know, Grinch left Brent, you know, two decent parting gifts, and it was the DB group and the linebacker group from, from 2022. Other areas were not so great, but those two areas were, were okay. So I think it's, a, it's good to have them in the class. Again, like you said, it's another Denton player. OU's going to go back to Denton again probably in 2025 for at least one offensive lineman from that area. So having those guys uh, on, you know, on the roster, it's, it's a good addition. And, um, you know, and if, if, if the Bowens are racking up interceptions for OU, like they did at, uh, in high school, that's, that's a good thing. And like I said, you, again, if you were, you know, I think we all got a little, a little PTSD and we're about to go to another PTSD topic here in just a sec. We all got a little bit too PTSD of a short DBs, you know, okay, well, Let's let you know. Let's 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 realize that they aren't. They can. There are lots of all American playmaking guys who are under five ten at DB throughout college football. So let's just let's just let's just moderate the moderate the issue on a on 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 smaller DBs a little bit. So all right, Caleb. The commits nicely let me bury the lead in the topic everybody wants to hear about. So. Uh, the pod's titled like a Rolling Stone for for a reason. We are about forty eight hours away from when I think the Caleb, sorry, the the David Stone commitment will take place, which is halftime of IMG's game on ESPN two, which I think is a seven o'clock kick. So right around you know eight thirty nine o'clock, uh, probably is going to be when we will probably hear David Stone's commitment. So, Caleb, my, my confidence factor, and I put this on our message board. I wrote an article about it, um, trying to detail D-line committing, detail everything that was going on, like where I felt we, what our sources were telling us, what the industry average or consensus was, reasons why OU should be confident and reason why OU fans should be less confident. So, to me, the confidence with David Stone is always, the recent confidence has always come around two factors. Um, he seems to be he seemed to be recruiting his friends to Oklahoma, and he seemed to be recruiting other players to look at and seriously consider OU. So I don't think he does that, and especially now, and especially the two guys committed, Michael Patterson McDonald and Jaden Jackson, are both committed in the in the month of July, I believe. So I just felt like he wasn't going to leave those guys kind of hanging without some kind of nudge, nudge, wink in terms of uh, what he was doing. So that's kind of where the confidence always has been. Um, the Miami confidence is, and I think it's down to Miami, Michigan State uh, websites seem to be kind of moving out of moving, have given up the fight on this. So Miami's always been, it's always been the story that that he has family members that didn't want him to go to college in Oklahoma. And they were looking for somewhere else for him to go to college. Which is That's, odd because they live in Oklahoma and their do- and, and his sister goes to school at OU. It's, it's always been a paradoxical <laughs> kind of odd. argument. It's an odd argument. Um, I don't know if it was a it was a circumstance where you know they just felt like maybe David would just 
wouldn't be able to branch out as much, and, you know, wanted to go somewhere else to college. They wanted to get a different experience. So I think him going to IMG is kind of a little bit of a compromise between David and his family. He went to IMG. He's had a boarding school experience. He's met a lot of different people. He's lived in a different part of the country. Uh, and he got a great football experience out of it, too. He, he, I think the IMG things worked out great for him. So, Caleb, based upon just a small nugget of information we got right before we recorded this pod, it's on our website. Uh, but by the time this pod gets posted, our, our members will have, had, will have had premium access to this. We think OU is in a very good position Saturday night to land David Stone. So, Caleb, give me a – we've talked Stone a lot. We've talked about this, and we'll talk even more about him once hopefully this thing goes off. But just give me your five-minute version of – what David Stone would mean for the OU defense moving forward. Oh, gosh. I don't know if it takes even five minutes. Um, you know, right, I know, three minutes. Well, I know that there's some, uh, and even I, I think, you know, one of them is, uh, one of the, you know, is Barry, that maybe aren't as high on uh, his, him as a player in terms of being a, a top 10 uh, football player. But, you know, you go and, and you watch the film, I mean, it would be huge uh, for Oklahoma in multitudes of ways, right? So number one is just the perception around other elite recruits for the top defensive tackle, a top 10 player in the country to choose Oklahoma as they're getting ready to move into the SEC. You know, what does that signal for guys like Don McKinley? Uh, I don't know if Braden Platt's made a decision yet, but for guys like Braden Platt, uh, you know, is another really big one out there, Danny Okoye, all of these, right? I mean, everyone talks about the ability to go sign a top five-star quarterback that can then be a ringleader. David's a, a guy that's been known for a long time. Uh, and, every, you know, whether it's football circles, recruiting circles, whatever that might be, he's got the potential to be a defensive ringleader for what could be a special class as Oklahoma gets ready to transition, to the, you know, to the SEC. Other part of that is when you look at Oklahoma's roster, it's very top heavy from a defensive tackle perspective. You know, all, when this is on the board from a notes, you know, it looks like, you know, the top four to five defensive tackles on the depth chart today for Oklahoma are all essentially redshirt seniors with the exception of uh, DJ Terry that does have a, a COVID year to take. And I, you know, it's possible that Isaiah Coe has a COVID year because he was in junior college that year and, it, and they didn't even play. And I don't know, you know, what all that does, but you know, the, when you look at it from just the information we have, it looks like Oklahoma will lose their top four to five defensive tackles. Uh, now, you know, guys that are six through eight are, are fighting. It could be just as, you know, could be just like number five. It's, there's that much kind of fluidity in the competition, but what he provides you is a guy that can come in and play high level football right away. Right. When you watch the film and this is, you know, and I probably would rank the recruits differently. Like I think that from like a pers uh, prospect perspective, I think that like Jordan Phillips may be the, one of the better defensive tackles. I know he wasn't a five star and GK was, but I think uh, he was close. He was close. He was very close. close. Yeah, yeah. I think he had extremely rare physical ability. I like David uh, more as a recruit than, uh, you know, 
he was further along, let's put it this way, he's further along as a senior in high school than Gerald was by quite a bit, both physically and then his game. And you watch him like do the little things like the short shuttle that he did uh, this past uh, summer. He's running a short shuttle at 6'4", 290. That's really comparable to a big safety slash linebacker. His ability to, you know, again, explode out of a stance, change direction and move is is pretty rare. I think he gives you, I mean, he gives you the potential to have a guy that come in, be rotational, you know, start, rotate, whatever. You're going to play about the same amount of snaps year one in Oklahoma. And the guy's got the potential to go on and be a first round draft pick. And he fits the defense extremely well because of his athleticism and his ability to penetrate and get up the field. And we know like that's, you know, we listen to coach Bates coach. You can just watch the tape. You can read, you know, breakdowns of the scheme. That's what it's it's really built around, right? Is disruptive plays up the field from your front four. And uh he gives you that in spades. He's got, you know, Jackson's a little bit more of, you know, it's just a bull at that nose guard spot. Uh David is a guy that, you know, it, it, he's probably got the athletic ability, depending on who your outside guys are at linebacker, that you can play him as an end in a three man front and you're gonna feel just fine. Because he's so long and athletic enough, he gets, he's going to get a hold of the tackle and he'll hold the edge and he'll, and he'll, you know, have some success with power versus any, probably just about any offensive tackle, you know, once he gets developed. So, I mean, it's, uh, you know, it would be, I think it's got the potential to be massive for the class and it, Oklahoma needs it in some regards. I won't say desperately, but they do. <laughs> You know, uh, yeah. because you've got to have uh, impact guys that can help Oklahoma get from good to great as they go into the SEC. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll end it. We move on to some other topics just because, you know, we're hoping to have some more to have some more features and, and information if OU is able to get David. But I'll just say when I watched his junior film like the first time, just like I was just like, well, that's the best junior film I think I've seen. And I watched a bunch of junior film. And I just felt like his junior. It's, uh, granted, it's highlights, so I'm I'm biased by seeing the best of everybody's best. I just watched his junior film. I'm just like that is. I, I don't know who I, you're gonna have to show me a junior film, knowing the tap, knowing the level of competition as well. That's yes. I was gonna I was gonna say like the thing to, and the reason I say like he's uh, to me so much further ahead of GK right is when you yeah. watch Gerald's Gerald wasn't great with his hands at that point in time he was still he wasn't very strong in the upper body at all at that point in time and those developed really quickly uh, the other thing was he was playing against really pretty poor competition in Oklahoma City public schools. David is playing, you know, IMG is flying all over the country and flying teams in that are like, you know, St. Francis Academies. They're playing uh, uh, the modern days. They're, he is playing against guys that are the majority of the offensive linemen he are, he's playing against are not just Division One. A lot of them are power five guys. And he's playing against some guys that are five-star offensive linemen, you yeah. know, both in practice and, and in games. So uh, that's where... You know, I think he's got the ability to step in and play really early because he's going to be lining. He's going to step on the field, you know, against Alabama, and their their guard and center were guys at IMG. You know, and David played or against he played them. them, or he or played, he played them. them, yeah, or yeah. he played them. And, you know, he's going to okay, I played against you, you know, two times, you know, two I'm times. I'm not intimidated by you at all. No. So that's our that's our stone that's our stone watch. Um, more to come from us, hopefully, if there's good news there. So. Speaking of somebody else who we are 
wildly in love with, or at least it's maybe Caleb's man crush in the recruiting class. It's, it's close. There's a couple of people. I think that if, if we were playing the, the recruiting bachelor, uh, Caleb has roses for, for this one guy. Uh, and he might be, he might go all the way to the end of this end of the, the end of the series. Uh, uh, so Grant Bricks is on commit watch at this point. It looks like he's everything is indicating that he's that if he makes a decision before his first game, which is like coming up in a couple of days, I think, that OU is in a great spot. We had reported that we felt like OU had a lead. Uh, we reported that a couple of weeks ago. So, Caleb, we're on pins and needles with this a little bit too. I've been checking Twitter. Um, sorry, X, uh, <laughs> while we've been uh, while we've been uh, while we've been recording this, just to make sure I don't miss an announcement. So Grant, so Grant Briggs is right on the right on the cusp of uh, making a decision, Caleb. And I think you and I both think that that would be a huge pickup for Bill. He's a fantastic looking offensive lineman. If you could get Grant Bricks, then with the other guys you've been able to pick up, you've got some good depth in the class. And Grant Bricks is a, as an early enrollee, I think is sort of a Caden Green type possible impact guy. If he rolls in early, Grant Bricks could be in the two deep uh, next fall. So, you know, so if, we're like I said, we're waiting on that decision to come down. So we'll hold off on Caleb giving you too much Grant Grant Bricks love until we get a hopefully a commitment. Then we're going to give at least fifteen minutes for for <laughs> Caleb to just kind of go to just unleash everything that he's been feeling uh, in there because you you guys know how much we've been talking about O line and Grant. You know if if you've been you were mad at Bill Biedenbauer in June, if he can pull Grant Bricks at the end of August, I, I think you. Your your crow sandwich is 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 now a, a is is has another patty of uh of of beef added to it. So, um, so Caleb, there's a couple other things going on like out in the periphery that are interesting. So, Tennessee just got a five star defensive end from Alabama, um, which is kind of crazy to think about. Yeah, and Jordan Ross. Do do you think that could help OU with Danny Okoye since Tennessee is the is the presumed major opponent? Because that gives them with Lindstrom and Ross, they're they're kind of adding some defensive ends now. Uh, it's hard to say with with Danny, but uh, but just from a sheer you know again like building a roster perspective, I would think because you know if you're Tennessee, are are you going to take you know four or five? defensive ends right i mean it's that's uh and if you're if you're if you're danny and you're looking at it and you're like okay the ability for in-state oklahoma all of that holds with just from an nil perspective being a tulsa kid that you know does great you know that's a lot of weight especially comparatively to you know being a tulsa kid in knoxville uh i would think it plays in their in their hands the question maybe that i didn't realize the five-star kid was from alabama how does that potentially weigh towards Alabama and their pursuit? Yeah, it's the pro and con, right? So that's the so the pro for OU is maybe it makes Tennessee slightly less appealing. The con is perhaps Alabama is um, they push double in, double inspired to make a run at Mister Okoye. 
It would be, yeah. It looks like that, you know, I know Alabama's got a, a couple of guys. Uh, they've got three linebackers. They're all good size. I don't know, though, you know, some of the times Alabama, their inside linebackers will be a little bit bigger than I think what, obviously, than what, you know, you're used to seeing in the Big 12. You know, you're used right. to seeing guys that are 6'1", uh, you know, 225, and, and Alabama will roll some guys out that are, you know, quite a bit longer, you know, so much heavier, but, you know, that are 6'3", 235, in uh, a bit longer and that's what they've got so i don't know if some of the guys they've got are considered uh inside or outside but they've got currently three guys uh three linebackers committed but you know i, I continue I, my hope would be Oklahoma does land uh david stone and you know let's hope that they do that that's gonna he'll be a catalyst to start going to guy you know especially another in-state defensive lineman and say hey you know let's do this together Let's play together. Yeah. So the just a quick commitment recap for everyone because of the this is a, you know just to because some some dates are still out there. So we're still waiting on Braden Platt. That's nine four. Most folks are having Oregon as a small leader over OU. Uh, we haven't heard anything from our sources one way or the other on that. Dominic McKinley is supposed to announce on nine one. But we don't have like anything official from Dominic on social media about that yet. So that date is a little, little, little fungible, flexible. Nigel Smith is deciding on nine eight. That's been locked in forever. Uh, Terry Bussey is on nine thirty, and that's kind of a A and M or LSU battle. Although, if he was to return to OU's campus, maybe things get interesting there. And the two names we're kind of really waiting on at this point are Devin Jordan, the talented cornerback from Tulsa Union. And Michael Boganowski, the safety from, I think, is it Grand Junction, Kansas? Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, who is down at OU and K-State and should be in Norman for OU's first game. But his recruiting, at the end point on his recruiting, is a little all over the place. We're not quite sure what's going to happen there. It is very odd. Yeah, so that's the that's the, that's the commitment news. Um, Daniel Ekinkumi. Uh, Ekinkimi, sorry, will be visiting for the Arkansas State game. Um, we may see some action right after that. He's getting a lot more attention from everybody. Um, our, uh, our our fellow podcast competitor Josh McQuistian was talking about Daniel and, and mentioning that he's that Daniel's getting a lot of publicity, and he says Daniel has sort of sort of raw elite skills that you know could make him a serious uh, offensive line player. So. Daniel's getting a lot more pub now. He's gone from from the who is that guy from England we offered to to perhaps, you know, when um, you know, Miami's looking at him, Clemson's looking at him, OU's brought him in for a visit. It's it's he's he's gonna be at the under armor game. Thing things are getting hot and heavy with him. Hey, uh, it's a, it is a it is a copycat game. Right. And yeah, I'd have to look at the offers, but I do think, I think if you go and look at it, right, it was a lot of uh, like Memphis, Houston schools, Baylor, like Ole Miss, Baylor, Ole Miss. And then when Oklahoma yeah, throws, when Oklahoma throws their hat in the ring, when Bill, when Bill, when throws Bill does, I'm sh- every other staff's going to turn and look like, okay, well, here's the school's been pumping out, you know, offensive linemen better than probably just about anybody. And this is, he's, Bill is, you know, is, is regarded as one of the best. And that's when you start to see, to your point, right? Uh, Miami, Clemson, all these others start coming in and throwing yeah. offers at them. So, Mario Cristobal is an old offensive line coach himself. I yeah. don't think he's a great, not a great game day coach, but 
he's a good offensive line coach. So that's floating around there as well. So we'll have may have we'll have some more updates on all that uh, post the Arkansas State game. So Caleb, I thought it'd be cool if we just talked a little bit about it's now it's football time, right? We're a week away, basically eight days away from OU kicking off uh, against Arkansas State in what probably will be like 105 degree heat at noon, uh, 11 a.m. Uh, Tulsa, uh, Oklahoma, Norman time. I'll get my cities right eventually. Um, <laughs> but so, but high school high school teams are starting to play. Games are occurring. So uh, right off the bat, while we've been talking, Taylor Tatum has uh, has thrown a 31 yard halfback touchdown pass. And he just broke a 64-yard touchdown run, taking it all the way to the house. So I think it's fair to say Taylor Tatum um, is a very good high school football player. So uh, we we loved we love him on film. So moving from the number one running back in the nation, Caleb, did you get a chance to look at the Twitter highlights from the guy I think we may need to start talking about as the number one tight end in the in the 24 class, I even did. though he's from the 25 class? It's, I did. It's it's sick. Well, I mean, it is like the the, the one handed catch he has, just like that amount of the, the radius and the body control. Uh, because I think I guess uh, I was overlooked or I hadn't really talked to anybody about it. The fact, not only the fact that he goes up, turns his body midair, reaches it back up and back, one hands it, but then he is able to come down keeps his balance and just trots in for a touchdown. Really, really impressive. You know, the other thing that like really jumped out at me when I was watching it and seeing the, you know, the field level uh, video and in the up close is my God, what is he going to turn into physically? Because he's like, a, he's about 17 years old. Uh, you know, it should be a junior in high school, but he's reclassified as a senior. And you look at still how much room he has to fill out and what he's going to become. Uh, he does have, in terms of like a, you know, a prospect uh, and you're projecting, it, it is, it is, you know, elite, elite potential, uh, you know, because it's going to be rare, I think, what he turns into physically. It's going to be a, a terrifying problem for defensive coordinators and the dual his dual ability because he's going to be, I mean, Caleb, he's going to be. It looks like he's going to be six five two sixty, yeah, without even like blinking. And he likes hitting people. We know that. Um, so yeah, just right off the bat, two of OU skill guys just off to big starts. And, and now and Taylor Tatum's doing it against McKinney, which has one of the top. 100 players in the country at safety, uh, Xavier yep. Phil Simon. So it's, you know, the big touchdown run he just had, run, you know, running through, tr- he, running he through ran, trash and, and running he by him. It's, yeah. Against, you know, someone he'll play against in, in the SEC in the coming years. Yeah. So, and then um, uh, OU QB offer and verbal number two, Brendan Serbrug uh, had a first game and um, the, not much of the passing highlights, but Caleb, he takes a, he takes a, QB draw runs through trash and outruns everybody for like an 85 yard touchdown run. Yeah. It's crazy. Nice little spin move in there as he got yeah, to the, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then just turns and it on. And if the people who should tackle him, they have the angle, right? Oh, he, he ran just, away from him. He just ran away from him. Um, yeah. And, uh, the, the people who were at his game were talking about that his, he's ranked, you know, he's a low three star right now. And, and um, the two, four, seven guy, Alan trio who, who looks at that area. He's a big 10 guy has been doing it for years. 
he's like, I, I don't think he's staying that low rank. Um, he goes, next time they do the rankings, I'm going to be in his camp. And I'm just, I wanted to jump and say, Alan, shh. Well, shh, on the passing don't, side. Don't, don't, but, don't, don't, don't talk, please. What we, are they? We want to, we want to keep Brendan. We don't want, we don't want, like, I'm trying to think of a team that, a power five, you know, super team that's missing a quarterback. Um, maybe, I don't know. You know, well, just anybody like in general. Any, if he's if he's if he's the number two for Oklahoma, you don't want like Wisconsin even, right? Yeah, exactly, uh, or Washington, or yeah, you know. Oh yeah, those are big God forbid, teams now. God forbid Iowa figures out that the quarterback can actually run the football. You know, <laughs> uh, uh, they, they, the QB run game actually exists. Uh, I think it's like a it's like a big folder missing from the the Ferenc playbook. It's like someone just pulled it out and and they did like the Men in Black. You know, neuralizer. They, you know, QB QB run game doesn't exist. You know, uh, even though it's like made for everything Iowa does offensively. It's like okay, but uh, but yeah, his his passing game wasn't the passing game highlights were 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 a little short, but yeah, uh, there, were, there weren't a lot. I, the two things that jumped, well, maybe yeah, two things that jumped out about the passing game. He's got a really compact delivery. He does it's not this big wind up. He holds it. You know what they're teaching guys now. It's funny. You look back, I guess, which would be almost 20 years, 15 to 20 years. Yeah. Right? You watch Aaron Rodgers in college and they were teaching, hold the ball up by your shoulder. And now you see everybody and, they, and they've got it down more by the breastplate or by their breast rather. Uh, and he's, he, you know, so, but the, when he pulls it back, it is just, it is a real quick kind of off the shoulder. He does not, you know, this big uh, wind up or anything. It's, it's a really quick shot, but I thought it was interesting is it was probably the first pass of the year. It looked like, right. He throws a slant a little high uh, kid makes the catch, but you know, the ball admittedly is a little bit high. Uh, you know, DB makes the play on it late in the game. They're backed up near their goal line. And I actually rewinded it. And I was like, did it, was it, was the throw that accurate? And it was. He they run he another a dart. He, he, a dart. he has a window. There's a window and the guy's coming open in it in the slant. And he throws it. I mean, on like you said, an absolute dart where the receiver is going. And all he does is he just puts his arm, his two his arms up in full stride. And it just fits right on, on top of his chest. And he just keeps running. And he ends up getting 70 yards. I think he ends up getting tackled at the Yeah, the we lose, we lose him. We lose yeah. him. Like, he's going, running so fast, we lose him. Yeah. Zerbrook outran his cameraman on that 85-yard touchdown run. I was trying to figure out if we were actually going to see him complete it, but it was it was, it was good highlights because, you know, it was a little bit of a new name for us. Like, okay, who is this kid? So it's nice here to look some of the look at some of the highlights and see that, you know, Zerbrook has some skills, but I am a little bit afraid of um, – Another program being, you know, there are some QB desperate programs out there. Let's just call them what they are, right? Well, just anybody, you know, even like a, even like a Purdue, you know, yeah, to be able yeah. to come in and say, hey, we would want you to be our number one, you know, as opposed yeah. to being a two, uh, you know, part not not a two. As I don't, I don't even mention this when he when he committed, right? Yeah, skill set. One A, one one A, one B. It is, it yeah. is. Yeah. but yeah, you'd hate for someone to come in and say, hey, you know. Come here, and you don't—you'll only have to compete with the guy in front of you and the guy behind you, not with someone in your class. Yep. So, um, just the one, one last thing we'll talk about—we'll talk about some other stuff next week. Is um, there's a big Oklahoma City scrimmage? Um, Carl Albert was hosting it. Heritage Hall was there. So, first off, we got to see Andy Bass throwing and running the ball and looking looking just great at quarterback, Caleb. And I know we've we've given Andy enough love there, but I just want to re-mention if you haven't seen those highlights, he looks really good. I, Again, I'm a little afraid 
that somebody is going to be like, hey, son, you need to be a quarterback for us because, you know, he has a really big year. But I, I think I think he's tied into OU. But, I mean, he I, he I won't be shocked if he doesn't have a really good year at quarterback. And then um, then we got to see Kevin Sperry throwing a bomb to Trenay Washington, uh, about 64 yards, I think, just a rope. And, and Caleb, OU's got three wide receiver verbals. They, they have Isaiah Mosey. They have Andrew T. Marsh also in the loop, but how do you how do you not play six three, two hundred pounds of is he two ten? Trenay Washington, how do you how how do you possibly walk away from him at wide receiver? Well, I think you try to convince him to play safety or cheetah. Ooh, yeah. To me, that's to me like you watch because he plays corner on on defense, and I think yeah. you first Oof. sent me his film in February, maybe when he got the offer. That was my immediate thought. I watched him at corner and obviously receiver, but I watched him, you know, I was like, Oh, like to me, it was, it's safety to potential to spin down to cheetah. If that's what he grows into, if he ends up being two twenty five or two thirty, but yeah, if he ends up just being six, three, two fifteen, you know, play, I mean, he's because he can run and he's got ball skills. And honestly, I, I uh, there are some really good guys in that OKC area. Uh, from a you know coach perspective and kind of the mentor perspective, hopefully somebody gets in his ear and is like, "Hey, son, like here's the deal. I, maybe you love wide receiver, but kids that are six three, two ten, you know that that run, you know, like it's just your potential to do great things on defense is more than it is on offense. You're going to go and there's going to be, you know, eight other receivers on that team, and it's you know we see what it's become now, right? It's uh, just yeah, just. There's so the many of, The legion of big, big, tall, fast guys. At yeah, and, and little, small. It's just there's just so many guys that want to play receiver. It's like you know, running back is kind of slowly being destroyed, I guess, uh, from a talent perspective. And everybody's flooding to wide receiver. And uh, hey, you want to make a bunch of money? You know, you go be that positionless defender that can play. You know, run, pass, and be a blit, and be you know, add some blitz uh, package to it. And yeah, you, you'd be a perfect fit for a guy like Brent Venables. And so the last highlight was we got to see Xavier Robinson run through some some seriously overmanned defenders, and he 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 he's literally threw one guy uh, off of them. So um, I think with Sperry and the other talent, I think Ro- Robinson's going to be just an absolute monster this fall. I mean, he, you can't you're not going to be able to put eight nine men in the box to try and stop him because you know. Kevin Sperry is just going to play action bomb you to Trenay Washington all game. Or uh, it's it, they, that Carl Albert team. We're gonna it's gonna be it's gonna be fun to watch and see how they they progress. So so that's some of the high school high school scrimmage and information. Uh, what's currently going on? Oh, you've got you know. Well, you has enough commitments and verbals that we're going to keep track of this and give you some some highlights and talks. So it'll talk a little bit of evaluation about that as they're going through their senior year as we get footage to talk about. All right, Caleb. So we're gonna mix we're gonna mix it up and get back to our sort of Monty Hall game show quiz at the end of the podcast to, to change it up here. So it's OU's about to play Arkansas State. Got a you know got a big schedule coming up. There's lots of freshmen who have done really really well. Look like they're probably gonna play next Saturday. We could rattle those guys off. Everybody knows those names at this point. But we're going to take a different view of this from more of our analysis, building the program, building the roster, which is kind of what we look at, right? So 
Caleb, we're going to do a red shirt draft. We're going to draft each draft five players who we want OU to red shirt. Now, whether that's because we think they, they're going to red shirt or we think they they should red shirt, or maybe we think they we just want them to red shirt for for other reasons. We we think we we prefer them to be around a little bit longer. So, Caleb, you get the first pick. Who is your first player that you really hope or want OU to redshirt? Jacob Sexton. Wow, okay. He's coming off of a knee injury. He's got I, he, he played more than eight games or whatever. He played more than four. So he is a sophomore. But he obviously he tore his, his knee up uh, in the bowl game, but he's way ahead of schedule, right? To me, like perfect world is we get him four games. You know, those four games we try to get him are games where he can play almost an entire second half. So we get him a bunch like, of reps. Do you, do you save those four games at the end of the year for the end of the season? I mean, you probably, I think, in a perfect world, you would say, hey, we're going to get two games in early. So maybe if he's whatever, okay. whenever that is, whenever he's fully cleared. Uh, and maybe you don't have to worry about it as much. Maybe the approach is, hey, we're not going to try to play him in all the beginning of the half of the season. We let it. We're really comfortable. Then on the back half, he can become a rotational guy. But to me, you know, what you, the stuff you hear on him is big time, the next big time tackle, right? He's going to be a starter and a really good one. Uh, and what you, I, you want to, to me, you, last year wasn't a waste. Uh, but if, if you told me he exits and goes into year three, only having ever been a backup rotational guy, I'm going to be like, gosh, it's going to be a guy you're going to want for three years as a starter, not for two years as a starter. Okay. All right. Well, that's a left. That's an interesting roster left field answer. So I'm going to stick with something a little more traditional. Uh, the first guy I, I really want to redshirt is Marcus Strong because I just don't think there's any way you're going to waste a year if you plan. He needs, he needs a year. For, he, he came in late. He needs a year of development. I know you have too many upperclassmen defensive tackles. So Marcus, we're redshirting you, but use that time wisely because Next fall, son, we need you in the two three deep. All right, Caleb, who is your next pick? Yeah, you know, <laughs> I would maybe almost take Jake Taylor there, but you're going to have to have you know one of those guys. Uh, if it's Taylor or Sexton, one of them's going to have to play more yeah. than four games. Uh, yeah, so this one's probably uh, maybe a bit easier and. Uh, Give me yeah, Taylor Wine at defensive end. Uh, he's got, I thought, really. We talked about this. He's just really natural pass rushing ability. He kind of reminded me of a, a looks like a decent amount bigger uh, Austin English, right? In that you know, just yeah, kind of like just go play football type guy. You know, it's uh, maybe not the first off the bus. Uh, he's not six six. Uh, he's not. It doesn't look like. PJ, but you know, he popped the tape on at least in high school and it was he's just real natural. He's really developed in the lower half of his body, big, thick legs, powerful and explosive. Give him part of that developmental program where he gets extra time with Schmitty and 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 that strength staff working on upper body development. I'm gonna I'm gonna say a name here that's gonna be like really a, can OU afford to redshirt him? So I'm gonna hope. That OU doesn't have to waste Jacoby Jacoby Johnson's freshman year. No, I'm with you. I would I, there. It's like to me, it's like between Jacoby Johnson 
and Makari Vickers. You want one of those guys to redshirt, I think. And then Makari's had, I think, had too good a too good an August camp. He's getting mentioned all the time, making plays, and um, I think he's 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 not going to redshirt. But I think if you can redshirt Jacoby Johnson, just because he's a little bit newer to the cornerback position, if you could redshirt him and save that, then I think next fall. When some players move on, he explodes into your DB. He's, he explodes into your DB group. Yeah. All right. So, Caleb, who is your who is your third, the fifth pick overall, but your third pick of players that you want to redshirt? I would want to redshirt. Uh, I, I guess I, I there. Let me find his name. It's harder than you think, isn't it? Kind of. Well, you know, you're balancing like what you think is going to happen at the positions altogether. You know, uh, and so, you know, I, I'd probably go Sammy Omasigo. Uh, I want to lean a little bit Lewis Carter, but I, you know, I think Lewis played, uh, more linebacker than Sammy did. So I yeah. think the absolute world of Sammy, but at the same time, what you hear on Justin Harrington is, is pretty, pretty impressive. And, uh, I think in a perfect world, it would give you the ability to, take Sammy and say, Hey, we're going to play you at Mike or will a more traditional linebacker spot, you know, and maybe not cross train you as much at, at Cheetah. Uh, so yeah. It, and I, I think he could get trained up pretty good in a year and, and come out next year competing. Yeah. I mean, I think didn't Sam play offense as, as a bunch as well. He played receiver. Yeah. I played receiver yeah. and then defensively kind of played all over a little bit like, uh, uh, Oh God, Kenneth Murray in that regard. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to go with a, a really easy one. This is more of a prediction of who should. Who's going to redshirt? <laughs> who's going to redshirt? This is not much of a uh, Logan Howland. Very much needs to redshirt. If oh, you can, oh, you just not need to be playing Logan Howland a bunch this fall. I agree. I agree. All right, so, so it's my- back. You're, no, you're number. It's your fourth pick. Yep. Yeah, I mean, this is is. Uh- probably similar in that regard you know so dalen smothers i think dalen could play uh i think in a perfect world it would be a situation where everyone everyone is healthy for the most you know to, to the best extent possible right where sawchuck is healthy uh barnes is healthy and caleb hicks is healthy and caleb hicks so on social media i know you social media he looks like he's a college junior that kid is really – it's like Kenneth Murray. You remember Kenneth? It's like, hey, you saw this kid sign. He's like 190, 200, 200 pounds maybe, 205, 210, kind of skinny-looking linebacker. And then one semester, you're like, who is that? And Caleb Hicks was the same way. You showed him like, you know, sitting there uh, talking to the camera, and, and your immediate thought is like, That's, who's that junior running back? Yeah, it's one of those, um, you know – he was, there was a little bit of like, why is OU taking Caleb Hicks? And, you know, he, he had a good senior year, but he fell because in the Because the Marco's smarter than other people. And that is correct. He's certainly smarter than us at running back. But it's like, then he went to, he, he rolled early and it's like, someone has not wasted any time in the weight room at all their, their freshman year. They are, um, uh, he's not eating any Oreo pancakes. He's just eating steel, apparently. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> So, all right, if you're, gonna, if you're taking Dalen Smothers, which I think is a good pick, it's as long as we don't have like a, a rash of injuries, I think, oh, you can accomplish that, right? As long yeah. as the running back position doesn't all of a sudden turn into some weird mash unit, which we've seen in the past. But 
uh, I think oh, you can probably accomplish that. So my next pick is going to be, this is kind of a controversial pick. I, I don't think Cade McIntyre is, is going to, I don't, not hearing enough about him at tight end. I'm, I'm concerned they could waste his year when, when he's, he's going to be a guy that's going to be around for a while and, and maybe you don't need to waste, you don't need to waste this year playing him. So um, I'm going to go with Cade McIntyre. Just haven't heard enough of him making a true impact at tight end. I think we all thought he might come in a little bigger. Um, you know, he's, a, he's listed at 225. So if that's true, but I mean, you know, hopefully some of the other players at tight end can, can, can make a move. And then you, you've saved McIntyre's, uh, you haven't wasted. I'm just a little concerned about low, a little bit, you know, low number of reps and too many games and wasting his year. Yeah. All right, Caleb, this is your last pick on who you think. I, I do think Cade could come out of a red shirt year at like six four two forty and just be just be ready to hit it at tight end. So yeah, um, yeah, I think I, I think, think there's going to be a lot more turnover at tight end too in this off season. That's kind of what I think is going on. Too, I so. agree. I'm, I'm torn on him. You know, if he he's really he's probably one of the more athletic guys, but if he's not comfortable, you know, there's a pretty big jump from the level of high school he played. Oh, he's got all the physical ability, but if he just needs time to settle in, yeah, you try to get him redshirted. Just to, I just I just don't want to, one of those years where he's like a senior now or like, man, I just wish we I wish we had another year from him. Cuz yeah. I think he's kind of one of those development core glue guys on that roster moving down the road where you're like, man, what do we burn his what, what did he do his freshman year? It's like nothing. We burned his redshirt for no reason. Yep. So this is this is why I would say my final one is Caden Green for that very reason. Wow. Okay. What I what I I would want him to play in four games and get those four games. I'm not where, sure you can redshirt both your tackles, guys. There. Well, I think Jake Taylor's probably your backup right tackle, and you've got Aaron Parks is returned, right? So Parks yes. has come back, so you can yes. play Parks as a swing guy, and he played as a swing guy last year. He played right in in the bowl game. He played. He started. Well, he didn't start. He. Jake Taylor did, or uh, Jacob Sexton did, but he played all but one drive after uh, Sexton went down. So I think Parks gives you that flexibility. But I think the fact that Parks entered the portal in June or July and then realized, oh, I can't do that and came back tells you that he's likely going to enter the portal once this, you know, December hits. So I think in a perfect world, because of that, again, you just like kind of looking down the road. If, if your two starters are, you know, uh, Walter Rouse and Tyler Guyton, which they are, right? Like, let's, you know, let's just try to develop some little bit younger depth. Get four games in. Hopefully, he can get 30 to 40 snaps in those four games and he exits year one with 100 to 120 snaps. But yeah, you know, let a lot of that year be working physically and he's ready to go a little bit better uh, moving forward. So my last name, my last choice here, all my all my all my prime ones are taken, and you took Samo, mm-hmm. and you took Dillard, who were guys and Taylor Wine that were were sort of more or less in my list. So my final pick is going to be, um, I I would prefer that they find a way to redshirt Phil Picotti. Oh, for sure. Um, mainly because I think like Caden McIntyre, he's another glue guy. He's another guy who. You know, by his senior year, he will have traveled as a redshirt senior. He will have traveled all of those. 
he will be that mentor of mentor, leader of leader, you know, locker room, sets the locker room culture kind of guy. And again, and, and that'll be, and he'll be making, he'll be hitting people, making plays. And his only, the only reason he won't be, able to, he wouldn't be on the field would be if maybe somebody like Braden Platt is ahead of him, who's just a physical beast. Um, uh, to hope there, to have a hope of all hopes. But I think Phil could use a redshirt year. If they are able to redshirt you, Phil, that means they've got good special team depth. They're finding enough play people on special team. And that's part of it, right? A guy like Kobe McKenzie. That means, like, that means a guy like Kobe McKenzie is you know, core special teams or he's yes, rota- yeah. rotating at linebacker. I'd love to redshirt Lewis Carter. It's just not happening. He's going to end up doing something where he's, even if it's, I think when Barry and I were talking about this, even if he's just killing people on special teams just to set the tone in games, because I just don't think you can restrain Lewis Carter. I think you we would just run out from the field and hit somebody just because football has started. You know, it's like, you know, Lewis, we're going to redshirt you. Yeah, I, I don't understand what you're saying, Coach. Yeah, <laughs> you, you're not going to play today. Yeah, 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 you're not. I, I don't understand what you just said. So, you know, so I think Lewis Carter plays. Otherwise... I'd love to redshirt him, but I think he plays. And and uh, even if it's just on special teams doing his best, Rennell Lewis hammer impersonation, just beating people up and and being one of those being one of those guys that sets the standard. So uh, that's why that's why I go with Phil Picotti instead. So that's a good one. All right, well, I think it's a solid list of ten guys. We'll track and see where we go. I think the only one. I think your two tackles, I understand why you want to do that, but I I wonder if OU is going to really be able to do that. And I'm kind of hoping OU has enough blowouts maybe that they're able to play more and get more time. Sexton, with his knee injury, is always the – because he's just rebounded so damn fast. And everyone yeah. says he looks so good. But, you know, I'm with you. I'm like, you know, sit him for a month at least, right? Yeah, because, you know, for me, like the, the prime he's example. he's so big. Of, he yeah. moves fast. And he's so strong. It's like, <laughs> is everything going to hold together, man? Yeah. The prime example of like why I say you want to redshirt one of those guys is like is Jake Taylor. You know, is you look at Jake Taylor and he's a sophomore. And, uh, you know, he was a backup last year. You know, the probably the backup right guard. But he only played in a actual snaps and games were a handful and his other time was special teams. Right. So field goal unit and things like that. And it's just like how you hate going into, you hate to take a guy that could potentially be a, a multi-year starter and you burn two years because he was on field goal. Yeah. It's, it's tough because yeah, I mean, I hopefully, you know, with a big, big O line class this year, a five O line that we think always oh, to get at least five O line. And with the, uh, some of the walk-on, preferred walk-ons, I think maybe we're going to be a little bit past some of those um, burn burn for the wrong reason red shirts. Yeah. You know, because I mean, um, but yeah, the, the Sexton one's interesting because I could see about, I could see a legitimate reason why, like, son, you're just sitting for four weeks. <laughs> you just, I don't, everyone's cleared you, but we're just not buying it, right? Yeah. And we don't need you for these four weeks. See, and, and that's where I kind of go. I'm thinking maybe in a perfect world, you can juggle it with with Parks, Sexton, Taylor, and Green. You can say, okay, between all those guys as backup tackles, what we what we can do is, you know, between Green, Sexton, and Taylor, that's 12 games effectively, right? If each, you know, four, 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 
and you can right. still redshirt them. And then parks, you can play a bunch is find a way to do, you know, find a way to do that. I mean, it was sex and sets until mid season and he plays the last three or four of the season, you know, and, and maybe Taylor plays the front end of the season and then he sets post that. And then, you know, you can maybe play green here, maybe closer to the back end as he's got more experience and you can get him those four games, but that, that would be, you know, an offensive line is traditionally a spot where, you know, guys need time to develop. Yeah, they need time to pick. I really wish, I mean, we talked about the whole 85, you know, roster and the 25 in a class. To me, Caleb, the number one thing that the new regime of football needs to push through the NCAA SAP is five-year eligibility. This red shirt, This red shirt juggling nonsense is just exactly that nonsense. Well, you know, and the other thing is. I mean, it, COVID showed how productive it was, right? Everybody got an extra year. Lots of guys played. It wasn't a big deal. I think five years of eligibility so coaches can just play kids. I think it's better for the kids if they play, um, even if they are red shirting, so to speak, you know, from the old the old red shirt. But if they're, you know, I think it's just if they're suited up and they can play if they need, if they play it, they can get into a game. If they can, I just think it's better for everybody. I mean, I, I think it. To, to me, right? I, I think it also completely fits with just the the overall uh, college experience. And, and the when I say that, I'm meaning like, you know, the experience that the student athlete has as a football player matches that to the regular it's taking five years for most people to graduate. Yeah, I mean, most. I mean, let's you know, as soon as the federal government started backing uh, student loans, it was universities <laughs> were like, "Hey, you know, it'd be a great idea is instead of needing like you know, a hundred and one hours to graduate, they need a hundred and twenty four hours to graduate." Right. So you, you're going, you're going an extra year and a half or whatever it is for most of these kids. So yeah, let, let the guys play five years and uh, just. And if they want to make it football only, that's fine. Basketball and baseball can do their own things, even though I think. Some of those sports would, you know, would also be helped by some of these rules because there's obviously a lot of, there's a lot, I mean, a lot of college basketball guys who could do with an extra, who aren't going to the pros, right? Yeah. Who could just have another year playing college basketball, have a great experience and finish their degree. Get that's their a flipping degree. That's the biggest thing I worry about. We, that's another tangent we could go on, but if you, if you so look at the portal it, thing, we've mentioned, it, you yeah, and I have walked back and forth for that. You watch it. Like the, the graduation rates for, since the portal has become like big, it, particularly in basketball. I mean, it is falling, you know, just. Uh, uh, we still don't of, know what's happened with several of the OU guys, right? Yeah. I mean, the, 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 the Alton Tarber, we, we, He's nowhere, right? I don't think, yeah, yeah. I don't think Alton Tarver has landed anywhere. I don't think. Uh, what was the receiver out of uh, College Station? Uh, number Brian Darby. Brian Darby. I don't think he's landed anywhere, has he? Uh, there's Javon a Von West. I think Von West finds somewhere. Did he? I haven't seen it anywhere. Yeah, he's not a big just, social media. There's a bunch of guys that you know thought, hey, I'll go ahead, you know, and I'll say this: it, it did, you know, Brent did mention that, hey, we gave guys a year's grace and those that weren't doing all the things correctly. So there may have been some of that. Some of those guys might be included in a group that weren't making every workout, weren't making every class, and were told, you know, we're doing but, well in study hall, right? I mean, like, yeah. you know, you, you if and. You can't, you can't just hang around. You can't just hang that, around and that, not follow the rules, right? That, that wasn't that work. That, yeah, that wasn't Alton Tarber's case. You know, it was more of a kid, kind of more homesick. Yeah. And you just hate to think of like, here's a really talented kid that Oklahoma liked, wanted to develop, and, and is in the program. And he thinks, hey, I can get closer to home. And he gets in the portal, and USF or UCF says, ah, you know, we would take you, 
But there's this kid that just left Cincinnati that actually has played in like 22 games. Right, right, right. Started you've, got no, three. you've got no resume, son. Yeah, we're going to take him uh, and we'll assign a high school kid maybe. But, yeah, we're going to take the kid that's played a bunch. Yep. So, all right. Well, we're going to go ahead and call it a day. That's a, a nice, tight 80-minute pod. Lots of recruiting stuff going on. Guys, again, Saturday, uh, halftime of the game on ESPN2. Kickoff, I think, is 7, 7.30, depending upon the games, you know, in front of it. Uh, we will be tracking that. And uh, if there's good news for OU, then there'll be good news for fans of the pod. We will we'll, we'll, we'll work on trying to get you guys some extra content and kind of dig in deep into what, I, what could be a huge recruiting decision for the Sooners. So thanks, everyone. Again, I'm Chris Mason, lead recruiting analyst at Sooners360.com. Please go to the website. Please subscribe. Give us a try. Lots of content. Lots of good discussion. And uh, also, please subscribe to this pod. Uh, We're on iTunes and all the major platforms. Uh, Please go ahead and subscribe so you're notified about that, especially if we do are able to record a special episode for you guys coming up. So that's the best way to be notified. So thanks, everyone, and good night. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.